Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Alex Puertas. Um, For those of you who don't know, about two years ago, I had the honor of being ordained here on this stage alongside uh, my big brother, Pastor Sean Ogilvie. And uh, it's my honor to bring you a word this morning. Uh, How are you guys doing today? Good. And actually, um, just maybe two, three weeks ago, uh, my dad, Alex Sr., he brought a great word. Um, and it's, uh, it's an honor to be invited to, uh, to come and um, share this platform. Um, wanna, first of all, even though Pastor Rick is out of town today, just uh, give honor to him because uh, Pastor Rick is one of the biggest mentors that I've had in my life and someone that um, I love and honor dearly. And he's the one who ordained me into the ministry. Um, and so it's, it's an honor to be invited to come here and share a word with you guys this morning. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking today about a topic that is right in time with this season because we have a holiday this week. Who knows what, what I'm talking about? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. It's here. It is already back. Thanksgiving 2021 is this week. And um, so, you know, makes sense to talk about thankfulness, Thanksgiving, gratitude. Um, Personally, this is my favorite time of year. And if you know me, you probably know that. My family knows that. I love this time of year. And... um, I'm actually from, I was born in Maryland, so I was born up north and um, lived here most of my life, but, but I like the cold. I like cold weather. I get tired of the heat and the humidity. I don't know if, for those of you who were born in the Caribbean, like, I know you hate this time of year because it's like, you guys want it to be hot and humid all year round. At least, I, I, my roommate, Andre, a lot of you guys know Andre. He's Jamaican, and he's like, he's, he's wearing a beanie, mittens, boots when it's like 70 degrees. I'm not, like, I'll come home sometimes after it's been, after he's just been home alone all day, and I'll be like, dude, do you have the AC on? And he's like, no. I'm like, what? It's like 90 degrees outside. He's like, I don't know. I feel fine. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's so hot. Um, I like cold weather, and so we don't get too much of cold weather down here in Florida, but if we just get like that 70 degrees, if it drops down into the 60s, it's like, oh, it's so nice. We get to, you know, bring out our sweaters, put on a nice jacket. I feel like you can dress better this time of year. You know what I'm talking about? It's like during the 90% of the year in Florida, like you're wearing shorts, t-shirt, like it's like the same thing every day. Like this time of year, you get to put on some some jeans and a sweater, and, and the food's better this time of year, right? It's better. It's like it's just better. It's we we like we wait all year to eat like one of the best meals that we can have, which is like turkey, ham, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing. It's like we don't eat, we don't make a whole turkey in the middle of June. I don't know. Has anybody ever done that? I've never had a big old turkey in the middle of summer. It's just, it's not right. It's like, uh, it's not American. 
We wait for this time of year to have these meals, and they're the best meals. Um, and, uh, and we get the best, I don't know if I've got any sports fans. I know I got Joseph. Like, this is the best time of year for sports, too. We have, like, all the sports kind of going on this time of year. So anytime you turn on the TV, there's a game going on. The two best sports, in my opinion, football and basketball, are playing. And it's like, it's just, it's a good time of year. Um, and I think, um, I think the most important part about this time of year, which I'm sure you'll agree, is the spirit in which it happens in. Like, the spirit of thankfulness and gratitude and generosity, kindness, family. These, the, we put kind of an emphasis on these things this time of year. Am I right? And it's the best part about it. Like, aside from everything else, that's the thing that's the most significant, that's the most important. Um, there's a lot of emphasis on hospitality. You go to the grocery store, and, you know, you've got Santa ringing the bell and collecting donations, and uh, people are, are typically more generous this time, time of year, more giving. You know, you start to think about family members that maybe you haven't seen in a while, and you plan to get together with them. Maybe you take a trip out of town or they take a trip down here. You got to try to get together for the holidays. Uh, we, we really put this, this t- time to kind of emphasize and focus on these things. And a lot of the times we've been working so hard all year and we're, we're able to kind of finally like take a rest a little bit for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, and so to me, this is, this is why I love this time of year more than all of the other reasons. Um, but, um, I want to look at this word for a second, Thanksgiving, um, which it's, it, I'll let you in on a little secret as, as a preacher, it can be a little bit tough to not bring the same Thanksgiving message that you've heard a hundred times. Cause it's like, okay, it's Thanksgiving. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about thankfulness. It, it can be a little bit tough to try and dive into that topic and not have, like, the same things that you've heard a hundred times. But here's something that was new for me. I don't know if you knew this already. But the Hebrew word, when the Bible says Thanksgiving, is this word, uh, I believe it's pronounced Yidah. And it's, it's spelled Y-D-H. So this word, what it translates to, when we see the word Thanksgiving in the Bible, which actually we see a lot uh, dozens and dozens of times, but this word um, literally means to acknowledge what is right about God. Isn't that interesting? It's actually really cool to acknowledge what is right about God. So let's look at this verse. First Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen says, "Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus." Give thanks in all circumstance. And what it, what it says in, in the original here where it says the give thanks, it's saying acknowledge what is right about God in all circumstances. That's pretty powerful. We were just singing this song, uh, you know, it's your breath in my lungs, so I pour out your praise, I pour out your praise. Um, and what Larry was saying when he was, when he was leading worship is, Regardless of anything that's going on, I'm going to acknowledge that you are good, that you deserve praise, that you are worthy of praise. Not because of what you've done, although you've done a lot for me, God. It's not even that. It's just who you are. 
It's just, I'm acknowledging what is right about you. It's not acknowledging what you've done for me. It's not acknowledging what I hope you'll do for me. It's not, you know, just bringing you my prayer request. And it's not even this thing of like, God, I'm thankful because of X, Y, and Z. It's like, God, I just give you thanks because you're you. You understand what I'm saying? It's actually really good. Um, and, and I never really thought about it that way. When I think about give thanks to God, I think about, well, I'm going to give thanks to God for the blessings in my life. You know, we kind of do that thing sometimes where maybe we're feeling a little bit down. We're feeling kind of some negative thoughts. And so, you know, there's that exercise that, that I do where you just kind of start to count your blessings, kind of start to list out things that you're thankful for. And sometimes it's harder than others, and sometimes you just got to start at, like, the very basic level of, well, I'm thankful that I had a meal today. I'm thankful that I have a roof over my head. I'm thankful for my fam. Ah, okay, yeah, I'm thankful for my family. You know, like, sometimes it's harder than others. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm thankful for this and this and this and this job and this is happening and all these great things. And sometimes it's like, but what the Bible tells us to do is in all circumstances, acknowledge God for who he is. That's a posture of thanksgiving. And it's not treated as this like once a year thing that we do on November, you know, the what, third, fourth Friday of November. It's not this once a year holiday thing, thanksgiving. It's this heart posture, thanksgiving. It's having a heart that acknowledges what is right about God. That honors and glorifies God for who he is. Um, when you look at the Old Testament, this is pretty interesting too. The way that they use thanksgiving, a lot of the times you see this instruction and this teaching to give thanks to God for what he's did and to give thanks to God in spite of trials. So you see this like with David writing in Psalms a lot. He's, he says, you know, I'm going to give thanks to you, God, in spite of what's happening. You know, though you slay me, I thank you. I praise you. You know, in the presence of my enemies. Like David talks about this a lot, that in spite of everything going on, God, I, I, I have this posture of thanksgiving. And then you get to the New Testament in Jesus and then Paul throughout the epistles they take it up a notch. You know, Paul's like super intense. And so Paul goes, no, don't just give thanks in spite of trials. Give thanks because of trials. Oof. So like, I don't know if I'm there yet, Paul. I'm still like trying to learn this one that like when bad things happen, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acknowledge who you are, God, in spite of it. And Paul goes, no, no, no. Count it as pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Paul goes, because of the trials, when Paul's in prison and he's writing uh, to the Philippians and he's like, because of these chains I'm in, Christ is glorified. The, co the gospel is able to go forth because of this trial that I'm enduring. That's intense. That's deep. That's this level of maturity and faith that I don't, for, I don't know about you, for me, that I'm, I'm trying to get there. To like, when circumstances and trials and different things happen, it's like, okay, I'm not just gonna force myself to be thankful, God, in spite of this. I'm actually gonna thank you because of this. 
Like, I'm going to see this and count this as joy. That's tough. But, man, Paul talks about it a lot. And um, I think if we could live like that and have that heart posture, it changes everything. Like, at that point, you're basically invincible. There's, there's literally nothing that anyone can do to you. There's nothing that the devil can do to you. If you don't just have to give thanks in spite of things, but because of things, it's like the devil throws whatever mess at you, and you're like, oh, thanks. Like, what, what, what can he do to you at that point? What can he do to shake you? What can he do to throw you off? What can he do to discourage you, to depress you, to make you anxious? It's, if everything he throws at you, you're just like, yep, thank you. Like, can you imagine? It's amazing. It makes you invincible. Um, I've been really amazed by this scripture in Job. It's uh, Job 42. And in the book, I mean, you guys are, are familiar with Job. He basically had every bad thing that could happen to him did happen to him, right? Like lost his family, wife left him, friends left him, lost all of his uh, livestock and wealth and like, his home and everything. So Job loses everything, and Job's kind of a tough read. Have you? Who's read the book of Job? It's kind of. It's kind of, I don't know. I, I, it's kind of a tough read for me because it's long, and it's thirty-seven chapters. Um, it's forty something, but for thirty-seven chapters, Job is basically having this this thing with God, where he's like, like questioning God and, and like testing God and like um, going through these things and crying out to God and and searching like God for some sort of answer for some sort of reasoning for some sort of for like 37 chapters this goes on and finally after all of that for I believe two chapters God gives his reply to Job and basically in so many words God says who do you think you are talking to me like that and Job, I mean, Job's, I don't know, he seems a little bit justified. He lost everything. And God's like, where were you when I made the heavens and the earth? And when I put, you know, the stars in the sky. And, and so in Job 42, after God, we have 37 chapters uh, of Job talking to God. And then from chapter 40, 41, 40, 40 and 41, God replies to Job. And now in Job 42, Job goes, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, Job saying to God, you asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. Can you imagine Job is questioning God, like, God, why? My family, my friends, my wife, everything that I've ever known, everything that I worked so hard for, it's all gone. God, why? And then God responds, and Job goes, oh, I was talking about things far too wonderful for me. So there's this thing that we see in Scripture of this, like, no matter what happens in life, having this understanding of acknowledging God for who he is. And God's not cruel. 
God loves us. The Bible says that every perfect, pleasing thing uh, comes from above. So God, and Jesus says that if our earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, then how much more does our heavenly father? So like, God loves to bless us. God loves us. But life happens, right? Things happen. And so often, we get to this Job type of thing where it's just like, God, why? Why me? Why this? Why that? Why that? And then God's kind of looking at us like, really? Like, I put the heavens and the earth together. I formed you. I knitted you together. And I've counted your days and ordered your steps. Like, he sees the beginning from the end. And sometimes we've just got to take a step back and acknowledge him for who he is and acknowledge what is right about him. Amen. Job says, I had only heard you heard about you before, and, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. It's heavy. But... None of that has to do with the message today. <laughs> um, I'm kind of kidding, but, but I, I do have a word for you guys today. Um, and all of that is kind of, I don't know, kind of some things that the Lord has been speaking to me. And there's, there's a, I guess, a lot that God's been speaking to me about this, this thing of thankfulness and acknowledging God for who he is. And um, a lot of the times, if, if, God, if I'm... If I've got a lot to say about it, it's because God's been saying a lot to me about it. And if God's been saying a lot to me about it, it means I haven't been getting it. So God's been trying to teach me about this and, um, and I think trying to grow me and mature me in this area. So, so there's been a lot and there's been a lot of revelation just kind of studying this and, and understanding what this means to acknowledge what is right about God. Um, and so I wanted to, to share that with you this morning. Is that okay? Okay. But I have a, I have a message. And the message this morning is called The Blessing of Breaking Bread. So if you're taking notes, you can write down that title, The Blessing of Breaking Bread. And so, um, like I said, it's kind of hard to figure out a Thanksgiving message because it's like, how many years in a row can we talk about thankfulness? Um, you know, it's, it, it can be tough. So I thought today, instead of, if we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving and getting ready for uh, the holiday this upcoming Thursday... Instead of talking about the thankfulness aspect, I'll talk about the food. Why not, right? No, no one ever talks about the food. I want to talk about the blessing of breaking bread. I want to talk about how God blesses and uses the, the physical act of, of breaking bread together and having meals together and eating together and spending time together. Can we talk about that? All right, let's do it. Um, so let's start with Jesus. Let's look at the blessing of breaking bread in the life of Jesus. Uh, I'll start with a verse that everybody knows, short, sweet, and to the point. Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus also said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus acknowledges, though, that we have to have God's word and God's voice to sustain us, and we need to eat meals. Jesus went without food for 40 days, and then he ate. You know, he was fully man and fully God, um, and so Jesus acknowledges the importance 
of having a meal. In Matthew 14, 19, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing. He broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And then a chapter later, Matthew 15, 36, Jesus feeds the 4,000. This this used to confuse me because I thought they were the same story. There's actually two different times in two different chapters. Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then the four. Uh, in verse 36, he says, He took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Um, and so we see Jesus doing ministry, and he has, it's, it's 5,000, then 4,000, but they're counting by the men. So if everybody has a family, you do the math. 15, 20,000 people. It's multitudes following Jesus, wanting to hear the words of life that he has to say. And Jesus goes, before I do any ministry, let's give these people something to eat. Isn't that amazing? Like, it shows the heart of Jesus that he cares about our well-being. Jesus cares about the way you take care of your physical body, cares about the way you take care of your mind and your soul, the way you care for your mental health. Jesus cares about these things. He cares about your salvation. He cares about these spiritual things, but he also cares about our physical. the, the, The Bible calls our bodies temples of the Holy Spirit. A lot of the times we, we kind of we get into this mode where um, we kind of feel like it's more spiritual to just like ignore our physical needs. It's like I'm just going to be focused on spiritual stuff 24-7. And, um, you know, there's that, that, that thing, the hierarchy of needs. Um, and, yes, our spirit is the top need, but, but really like if we neglect the physical needs the spiritual stuff is not going to be that stable it's not going to be that healthy i know i've gone through seasons of my life where it's just like i'm just going and going and gotta go to this place and go pray for these people and go meet with this person and then go you know do this devotional and then go to this worship night and then whatever and then it's like weeks go by and i've barely slept and i'm eating terribly because you know Holy and I go to a worship night, and we don't leave till 1 a.m., and then we eat McDonald's for dinner because, like, nothing else is open. Like, you know, there's these seasons of life where it's like, oh, you know, being super spiritual and doing all these spiritual things, but physically my body's hurting, tired, not eating well, having exercise, all this stuff. And I just, I feel like Jesus is looking at me going like, you know, good try, but but you're, you can't do this. You can't, you can't, this isn't sustainable. This isn't how I created you to be. Um, Jesus sees us and he sees our physical needs. He sees the needs that we have to, to rest, to eat, to take care of ourselves, to, to, um, to take care of our mental health, to take care of our physical bodies. And, um, and these people who are coming to Jesus, hungry for miracles and teachings and signs and wonders, he goes, okay. Let's take a break, and let's make sure these people get fed. Uh, in Luke 20, 20, 22, 19, it says, He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for, given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Now, this is the scene of the last, the last supper, okay? This is the scene of the last supper. And one of the last, or the last thing that Jesus does with his disciples all together is he breaks bread. He has a meal with them. And he tells them some important things. And to be honest, I, the, what's kind of interesting is that they don't seem to, like, really remember what he's telling them. Like, Jesus tells Peter, you know, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. And Peter says, I'll never do that. And within 24 hours, what has he done? He's denied him three times. So it's like Jesus sits there and has this conversation with them and, like, it's kind of going in at one ear and out the other. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that they're going to fail. They're going to fall short. They're going to mess up. Um, but he takes this time to be with them, to spend time with them, so that they would remember this kind of last night that they had together. Um, and, um, and, and then just two chapters later, so Last Supper happens. Jesus is crucified. Three days later, he resurrects. Um, and then in Luke 24, it, verse 35, the, the disciples, the two disciples are going on the road to Emmaus. You know this story, and this man starts talking to them, and then uh, they didn't realize that it was actually the resurrected Jesus. So in verse 35, it says, They told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So this is interesting. Jesus resurrects, and he's walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he's spending time with them, and he's, he's actually teaching them again. He's talking to them about how, um, about how he himself, you know, um, fulfilled all, all the, the messianic prophecies and all of the, the laws and the prophets and all this stuff, and he's giving them, like, this history lesson and how it's all been fulfilled, and, and, but they're not even realizing they're talking to Jesus until... They break bread together. And all of a sudden, their eyes are open. And so it's interesting. We don't fully understand, like, the mystery of that or what was happening supernaturally and miraculously in that moment. But I think one thing is clear is that Jesus connected with his disciples over meals. And this was this intimate connection that they had with him. And when they broke bread with him, suddenly their, their hearts realized who he was. It's amazing. Um, and so all throughout um, the gospel, really, we see Jesus doing this. He's blessing the breaking of bread. He's coming together with people, drawing them close with compassion and love. So this is the first point for today's message. Create, uh, the the uh, breaking of bread creates a connection point to deposit wisdom and words of life. Um, and so, Pastor Rick, this is something that Pastor Rick taught me uh, when uh, just probably a few months after starting to uh, be discipled by him and, and learning from him, um, something that he said that has always stuck with me and I actually was just telling this to someone else like, I don't know, a couple days ago, I said this to them, and they were like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Where'd you get that from? I'm like, from Pastor Rick. They're like, who's that? I'm like, this is my pastor. Anyway, so like, the, what he said is, um, and what he, you, you made for him said is, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
Yeah, it's really good. And when I first um, started to do ministry under Pastor Rick, I felt like I knew a lot of things. I felt like oh, I've studied the Bible and I've done all, you know, I've learned all this stuff. And I watch so many sermons and dissertations and, and I read all these books and I feel like I know things. And, um, and I remember going to Pastor Rick frustrated because I was trying to preach to these youth and teach them things and pour into them. And I'm like, they're just not getting it. And he told me, well, they're not going to care how much you know until they know how much you care. And he's like, you got to show them. And that takes time. And especially with, you know, teenagers who are, you know, all, you know, frustrated and, blah, and you know, they like to act up like Larry used to be. Um, but eventually... But eventually, over time, if, you, if you're there for them and you're consistent and you're loving and you have some meals with them, you know, me and Larry used to go to Taco Bell and McDonald's and all that stuff. Uh, and, and eventually, at some point, they know how much you care. And so they, they want to hear what you have to say. And then they're going through something and they reach out to you and they, I don't know what to do. I, I don't this and this is going on and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh my gosh, I have an opportunity to really speak life into someone and to really make an impact and, and make a difference in somebody's life here. Um, but it started with creating that connection point. And I'll tell you, breaking bread with someone, and I, maybe I should have said this in the beginning, breaking bread is, it's a euphemism for having a meal. I, I'm sure a lot of you knew that, but it's, when I say breaking bread, what I mean is having a meal with somebody. Um, having that meal creates a connection point that allows you to be able to deposit wisdom and words of life into someone. Um, If you can feed someone's stomach, maybe you can feed their spirit. It's an opportunity. We have, at this church, there's there's always been an amazing hospitality team. And um, if if you've ever gone to a, a backstage pass, you know, and joining this, huh? Taste of the Nations, ooh, I miss Taste of the Nations. Those were so good. But the backstage passes, you know, um, there would be a meal there every single time. Um, Miss Janice and Miss Dawn and Miss Cheryl, you know, making some food. And, like, it's like someone comes to this church and joins it, and it's like their their stomach is being fed, but but their their soul and their spirit is now open to to receive and to be fed. And they're they're open to, to what... You know, they, they maybe have never been to a church before. They maybe never heard about Jesus before. But now all of a sudden, there's this open door in their heart to be able to reach them. Um, from, from, a, from a scientific perspective, having a meal with somebody, it puts them in a position of vulnerability. It, it's so, so it's like when you're eating, like from a scientific standpoint, you know, if, if you're eating, you know, we have these instincts, fight or flight instincts and all this stuff. And we have like this guard that we can have, especially around strangers, around someone we don't know. Just naturally, we kind of have these instincts of self-preservation and protecting ourselves and whatever. But it's like when you're eating a meal, you, you become vulnerable, you know. It's like and if an animal, when they're eating, a lot of the times, if you have like a, if, if you've ever had like a, a dog that wasn't trained well, and they're eating their food, and you go and touch them, they're like, ah, you know, they like turn at you and growl at you or whatever. And it's like, 
They, it, might, it might be a good dog, and they love you, but they feel vulnerable when they're eating. They don't want to be touched. They don't wanna, so that's why they say when you have a puppy, you're supposed to, like, pet it and touch it and make sure it knows that when it's eating, it's safe. It doesn't have to feel on edge and on guard because when you're eating a meal, it puts you in a vulnerable position. So if, you, uh, if, if you're with a stranger, if, if someone is talking to you that you don't know, a lot of times when, when we meet someone and we're trying to get to know someone, we say, hey, let's talk over lunch. Let's get lunch together. Let's get breakfast together. Dinner's a little bit more intimate. Dinner, you wait until, you know. But lunch is like a very like, hey, let's get to know each other. Let's, why, don't we, why don't we get some lunch? Because it's like I could talk to you, you know, just like this or could talk to you on the phone, but there's nothing really as vulnerable and intimate that brings the guard down like breaking bread together. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of the best conversations I've had in my life have been over a meal. I can remember conversations that I've had that were over a meal. And I can probably maybe remember like what the meal was, what the food was, but I can definitely remember conversations. And there's conversations I've had with people that, you know, if you ask me to pick out a conversation I had with them at church one Sunday, it's going to be kind of hard. But I can tell you about the time I went to their house and had dinner with them. It's engraved in my memory. When, when I um, first came um, to this church, it was in about 2017, um, and it was about, like the beginning of 2017, and about six months into um, doing youth ministry here, my parents moved to Maryland, which is where we're from, it's where I was born, um, and they moved there, they're back now, but they moved there for about three years, and during that time, the people at this church really became family. I really felt like I had been adopted into a family, and I felt like I had been, like, the people here were caring for me, checking on me, making sure, literally making sure that I was fed. You know, I would, I would get just Tupperwares of food and bags of food sometimes because people were just like, hey, Alex, have some food. Um, and it was great because I, I was living on my own for the first time. I was 21 years old, and I was I was scared. It was a, it was a an un, un um it was a new circumstance. It was like a new chapter. It was something that I wasn't really used to having to you know go and buy groceries and cook and budget money and do all this stuff. Like it, it was all new. It was it was it, it was scary at first, um, but I can remember the way that people here at this church would care for me, would check on me, and would invite me for a meal. They'd invite me to their house, invite me to go get lunch, invite me to come over for dinner, um, invite Huli and I, and we would get to know you over breaking bread. And I can remember conversations I had. I can remember conversations I had with Sean and Shelly, with Pastor Rick and Miss Deb. I can remember these conversations and how they were so impactful at such a, a vulnerable place in my life how I needed to hear the wisdom and the words of life that these people had to offer me and how it's impacted me to this day. And so breaking bread with someone, having a meal with someone, 
God will use that to deposit wisdom and words of life into someone. Um, and it can change someone's life. There is a healing power in hospitality. You know, a lot of the times it's like uh, at a church, the worship team is, you know, at the front lines and like you, or the prayer ministry is, you know, like, but, but the hospitality ministry, I mean, that's where it happens. That's where the, that's where the walls come down. That's where people feel welcome. That's what makes people want to come back to church. It's like, it's extremely powerful. Um, I want to go into a couple scriptures, um, specifically in the book of Acts, because we see Jesus set this model, right, where he's breaking bread. He blesses the breaking of bread with his disciples. Some of his most intimate moments are over a meal. And then we see the early church in the book of Acts, and they're, you know, they're called Christians because they're little Christs. They're, they're imitating Christ. They're trying to model Jesus, and they're just, they spent this time with him, and now they're just trying to do what he did the best they can. So look at what we get in the second chapter of Acts, verses 42 through 47. This is the early church. This is the first gathering of believers of Jesus. Um, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So look at how it's in the same list as the sermons, the prayer, and you have the breaking of bread. It's a part of being in the family of believers. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had, in, who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Again, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is our model for the church. As the church, 2,000 years later, this is the model that, that we were given in Scripture. These were the people who were with Jesus, who followed Jesus. For three years, they were with him every single day. And then they go and they begin the first church, and they start to show us what it's, what it's meant to look like. Now, 2,000 years later, sometimes we hit the mark, sometimes we miss it. But this is the model that they gave us. And it says that as they were doing this, breaking bread and gathering together, praising God, enjoying favor of all people, it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as they're having meals and as they're, as they're in the community and with families and just being an example to the people around them of hope and peace and joy, God is adding to their numbers those who are being saved. I have to imagine that a lot of that was happening over dinner, over meals. People are like, what's up with these people, you know? They're all one big happy family, and they're, have, you know, they're having meals together every day, and like, what, what's going on here? And, and it's, it's intriguing. You want to be a part of that. You want to see what's going on. And boom, you have an opportunity for someone to get to know Jesus and get to hear about the resurrection, and, and people are being saved. In Acts 20, verse 11, it says, when Paul had gone up 
um, and broken bread in Eden. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. In Acts 27, you see it says, as, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. This story is, is a cool one. This is when Paul is on the ship and um, it's before the ship wrecks um, on the island. They are in a storm and it's like two weeks. They're, they're lost at sea. And um, the whole crew is, you know, thinking they're going to die out there stranded. And, um, and they weren't eating any food because uh, they were trying to save it. But now it had been 14 days and no one had eaten. And Paul uh, said that an angel of the Lord told him that everybody was going to be okay. Um, and actually, it says that they will all be saved because of Paul, basically, because Paul is such precious cargo, and nothing can happen to Paul. And the angel said that Paul has to appear before uh, the, em the emperor, before Caesar. Um, the angel says, nothing's going to happen to anybody on this ship. Paul, they're all going to be okay. Paul's like, oh, okay. And he comes up, and he gets everybody together. And he's like, all right, guys, you haven't eaten for two weeks. He's like, I appreciate the effort, but you're, you're all going to be okay. So let's, let's eat something. And they listened to him. They took his advice, and it says they were all encouraged. And their strength returned to them, and then, you know, they do end up shipwrecking, but they're all okay. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, Paul says, If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Um, and so again, we see this context of breaking bread with people. And it's in the context of ministry. It's in the context of people being saved. It, it's Paul saying that do what the best that you can to live in harmony and community with everyone around you and he, he's talking to them about, you know, whether or not to eat food that's been sacrificed to idols and all this stuff. And Paul's saying, you know, you have to set a good example to people and you can't, for the sake of their consciences, you can't do certain things because it could be a stumbling block to someone. He, but this is how he kind of closes the chapter. He's like, in summary, what I'm trying to explain to you is that whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So go have meals with people and go get to know people, but go and do it in, for the glory of God so that many may, may be saved. The church was designed to be a body. and We're called the family of believers. We're the household of faith. The Bible refers to us as the family of believers. In Galatians 6.10, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us good let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So as a church, as a body of believers, and I'm talking about church capital C, the church of, you know, our region of the church of Florida, church of America, the household of believers. Sometimes we do a great job with this. 
sometimes we take, sometimes we miss the mark. Um, but there's this clear instruction, an example set for us in the Bible of what it looks like to live in community with people, to bless people, and how God can use that as ministry. In my life personally, I know that some of the times I've been ministered to the most was over the breaking of bread. So my question is, when was the last time you broke bread with someone and it was a form of ministry? Because we do it, we, we do it every day, unless we're fasting. We have a meal. You have meals a lot of times, three times a day, maybe more. You have meals every day. But how often are those meals in community with people? How often are those meals for the glory of God? As Paul says, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. How, how often are we doing that? Sometimes we, we kind of, it comes to mind. Sometimes God puts uh, someone on our heart to go reach out to them and go get together with them and break bread with them. Um, but especially, I think, during COVID, um, I think that we got a little bit isolated sometimes and a little bit antisocial, and it got, got kind of easy to just stay inside and be by ourselves. And, um, and the point that I'm making there is just to not let fear and anxiety keep you from being able to minister to someone and get together with someone because people are in need. And especially statistics show during this time of year, during uh, kind of the holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas in particular, um, suicide rates go through the roof. People are struggling. People are dealing with heavy, heavy depression and they might not have someone to break bread with. They might not feel like there's someone there who understands them, who cares about them. And just inviting someone to a meal, it could change everything. It could change that person's life. And so I think it's a good reminder in time for this week, in time for Thanksgiving. And I know it's like, Thanksgiving, that's my family time. As, as PR would say, we, we sometimes get caught up in our holy huddle where it's like you, me, you know, us and no one more. Um, I don't know what he says. He says something like that. He, he has his catchphrases. You know what I'm talking about. Um, it can be us for no more. That's what it is. Okay. Thank you. Um, it can be really easy, especially with like Thanksgiving and Christmas, to feel like ah, that's not the time to be, you know, inviting people over to my house or whatever. I know Larry's family, the Duncan family, I know they have like an open invitation every Thanksgiving and they get, I don't know, how many people, Larry? Dozens of people in that house for Thanksgiving. Um, it's, it's actually a great time and a great opportunity to invite somebody, invite someone. Maybe you know them really well. Maybe you don't know them that well. Um, but it's a good opportunity to be able to break bread with someone and uh, it's an opportunity to be able to minister to that person's heart. And so that's kind of the challenge for you this week. Um, be thinking about it today, tomorrow. Who can you text? Who can you reach out to that maybe they don't have a place to go for Thanksgiving? Maybe, maybe it's going to be just them by themselves, you know, or maybe it's two people, maybe two people that they don't know what they're going to do for Thanksgiving and and your invitation could mean the world to them. Just reaching out to say, hey, 
What are you doing on Thursday? You want to come have dinner with us? God could use that so powerfully. I'll close with this scripture. Um, and actually, I'll say this. Oh, actually, before I do that, breaking bread uh, creates compassion. And that's one of the points for tonight, uh, for this morning. Breaking bread, the blessing of breaking bread com- creates compassion. Um, You know, there was this time when, when I was, again, going back to like 2017, I had um, kind of just started uh, with the youth ministry. I'd been here a few months, and, and the, the, the teenagers were like so difficult to connect with, and they, they kind of wanted nothing to do with me, and they were totally closed off to anything that I, I had to say. And so it was just, it was, I was getting discouraged. I was getting frustrated. My family had moved. I'm like, man, did I make the right decision? Is this where I'm supposed to be? Um, and I remember this one night. I was praying and I was crying out to God. And I was like, Lord, I need help. Because I feel like the way I'm doing things right now, it's not really working. It's not really making sense. Um, and as I'm praying, I think I, I had like YouTube um, with like some worship music or something, but a video comes on of this guy named Derek Prince, really great preacher from back in the day. And he starts talking about a prayer that in his words, he goes, this is a most dangerous prayer. And he has a British accent, you know, he's like, this is a most dangerous, I can't do it. But you know, I'm like, I'm like, what is this guy talking about? And he says that, one of the greatest prayers you can ever pray, he says, is, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. And I, I heard that, and I went, oh, my goodness. So I was like, wow, okay. And he, he explained the weight and the gravity of that and how if you open up your heart to be broken for the things that break God's heart, that it's intense and it's heavy, it will change your life because you'll see people in a way that you've never saw them before. And I thought about it, and I thought, okay, I need to pray that prayer. So I did, and the presence of the Holy Spirit came powerfully. Um, it was an extremely significant moment and turning point for me. But then I, you know, I was laid out in my bedroom on the floor crying, but I'll tell you, when I got up off of that floor, I felt different. I was thinking different. When I came to youth group um, a couple days later, maybe the next day, I was seeing kids differently in a way I hadn't before. And you know, it's like this thing of, we do ministry, um, but someone can't really teach you how to have compassion and empathy. It's like the Lord's got to put it on your heart. And um, I, I was, you know, for a few months, I'd kind of been going through like the right steps for how to teach students, you know, about the Bible and about Jesus and was putting together, in my opinion, pretty good messages and, you know, cool series and doing fun games and like, 
you know, getting these kids pizza, but like nothing was really seeming to working. And then God broke my heart for what breaks his. And I started to see the youth and see them maybe just a glimpse of what Jesus sees. And the way that I talked to them was different. The way that I approached them was different. Everything changed because of this extremely deep and profound compassion and empathy um, that had come from the Holy Spirit, I was able to approach them in a way that I think Jesus would. And from there, began to form relationships and get to know them and get close with them. And going back to what I started with, then they started to care how much I knew to the point where even to this day, I'm able to pour into their lives, still connect with them, and they still reach out to ask for advice and for prayer and for help. And But I trace really a lot of it back to the moment I prayed that prayer um, because my whole approach to it completely changed. And so my... My prayer for us this morning is that we would start to look like Jesus in the way that we approach people, in the way that we talk to people, in the way that we treat people, more and more that we would be reflecting Jesus, that we would be little Christs, Christians, reflecting Jesus, doing things the way Jesus did. And as we break bread with people, that it would create compassion, that God would bless that and create compassion in our hearts for people. One more thing that I'll say before um, I close with with the scripture is is, um, another extremely profound thing that taught me about empathy and compassion and the way that Jesus sees us is the food pantry at this church, doing the homeless ministry and and, being able to spend time and get to know and have conversations with people who were in, in, in as about as bad of a situation as you can get. Um, and, and being able to just have conversations with people and be able to, to have so much compassion and, and um, being able to share about Jesus with someone who, who needs it that much. Um, these sorts of things as a Christian, um, these are the sorts of things that I think get us closer and closer to looking like Jesus. Because, you know, reading the Bible is great and praying is great and coming to church is great and worshiping is great. And the Bible also says that faith without works is dead. So sometimes we have to take a little bit of action and put ourselves sometimes in an uncomfortable situation, something that we're not used to, do something different and, um, and see how the Lord will use that and bless that and, um, and bless someone else and bless another person through us, but also bless us and also move our hearts and turn our hearts to look more like his heart. Um, so Jesus is talking about... Um, his return. And he says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, 
He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me. And I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, and needing clothes or sick or in prison, and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but righteous to eternal life. I recently started working for a charity. It's called Food for the Poor. They're based down here in Florida. And my job um, is to call people on the phone and thank them for donating to the charity and pray for them over the phone. It's an awesome job. Uh, But this scripture, Matthew 26, is the mission scripture for the organization that we as Christians are called to do for the least of these. And so it's called Food for the Poor, and that's literally what we do. We bring food and water and shelter um, to the poorest people and the poorest nations of the world. And, um, and this has been another experience for me as a Christian man trying to more and more reflect the heart of Jesus. I- I'm just getting a whole new level of grace and compassion and empathy and the Lord is moving and touching my heart so much more of what it means to reflect him. And so when Jesus comes back, apparently one of the things that he's going to use to separate us is what we did for the least of these. And he's going to say to those of us who broke bread and gave clothes and, and went to visit people and did all these things that he listed he's going to say to to us we inherited the kingdom um and so it's kind of a sobering realization to to know that it's one of the things that jesus is going to use when he returns he's going to look at what did we do for the least of these um My prayer is that God would bless the breaking of your bread. My challenge is that you would do it with someone who really needs it. 
who really needs that fellowship, who really needs that love, who really needs someone to reach out their hand and say, hey, you want to come have dinner with us? Um, because if you're doing it for the least of these, you're doing it for Jesus, and you are reflecting his heart, you are being his hands and feet on this earth, and you might be changing someone's life, because by doing that, you are opening up a door for some of the deepest times of ministry. That's my challenge and my prayer for you this morning. So if you wouldn't mind, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, would you bless the breaking of our bread, God? Would you use it to make yourself more known, to save someone, to give someone life, God? Would you put people on our hearts that are needing us to reach out to them so that we can be your hands and feet to these people? And as we do that, God, would you create compassion within us? And would you use an open door for us to be able to, to, to deposit wisdom and words of life into someone? And before we go this morning, if you'll just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, um, we always like to ask if there's anyone here who either does not know Jesus or would say, I haven't been close with Jesus in a long time. I've haven't been walking with him. He hasn't been the Lord of my life. We want to pray for you. So if that's you this morning, you can just slip your hand up and we're going to pray together. Lord Jesus, would you see our hearts? Would you forgive us of our sins, God? We receive your blood that you shed on the cross to cover our sins. We believe that you are who the Bible says you are. We believe that you resurrected on the third day with the keys to our salvation. Lord, we thank you that you have made a place for us in heaven. And Lord, with our time here on earth, may we continue to do what you've commissioned us to do. To be your hands and feet and to break bread with those around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.